What happens when a civilization slides into anarchy and destruction and implodes? How do the individuals in that society, like the Nephites, handle all of those things that they were trying to hold on to? How do they handle their treasures? How do they handle that need for blood or revenge? How do they handle the implosion of a society? Come with us today as we take a look at this very thorny issue of how very human and flawed people handle the loss of all things as they watch their society go away. And welcome to another Monday Morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. Well, let's begin on this. We're uh, we're rolling we're rolling into the, um, the if if you like if you like dystopian movies, <laughs> uh, this one fits. This is this is the great uh, collapse of a civilization, um, and. There's a. I want to look at it maybe from a little different direction as we're as we're coming at this because sometimes I think we read the words but we don't look at the human toll and the human reaction to this kind of uh, decline and fall uh, of a civilization. Um, now, one of the ways that that, that I want to approach this is uh, when I was when I was in uh, shrink school. <laughs> and learning how to do counseling and psychology and everything. One of my great uh, mentors was a guy that talked to us a lot about if you're going to be a therapist, you've got to learn universals. And a universal is the way that people traditionally react in certain situations that are fairly common across all personalities. If somebody's going through grief, there are some common ways that most people are going to approach this. If your parent was an alcoholic, there are common ways that children of alcoholics tend to respond to stuff. So we're always learning. Once you learn the universals, then you know basically when someone's coming in, you're talking to them what kind of things that they might be dealing with, and you need to check those out. If someone is suicidal, what's common ways that they look at things? Okay. Well, some of this, as we look at this, we're going to look at the way people are reacting to the fall of a civilization around them. And it's not like we're doing a big sociological study of the Nephites, you know, in 385 AD. But um, I, I want to approach this, first of all, by looking at there are some like natural man isms, thing that. Because we, we we've been talking a lot the last uh, semester and a half about how it's true that the Savior came to save us, 
But what is more helpful for us is to recognize how the Savior changes us. That exaltation is about, as Elder, as President Oaks has said, it's about becoming a different person, uh, and it's a, and not about what we do. So when we're thinking about, I'm going to become different. What does different look like? Well, different means we're we're, we're starting with our natural man and woman isms, and becoming something we're thinking celestial, right? That means what are we leaving behind? Well. These natural manisms, I think, that we do, most of the time, it'll be long into the next world before maybe we kind of finally root out all of it. Because it's just more, it's mortality. It's what we do in, in mortality. So some of these that just immediately jump to mind, you guys may have some additional ones. Uh, one of those things is that uh, we want to get gain. We're, gain. we're good at gaining stuff. We're horrible at losing stuff. We just want gain. Uh, and, and it's the things I, I treasure. I will surround myself with things that I like. Um, so, and, and you're going to see that happening in the Nephites as they're losing everything. Um, here's another one. Desire for vengeance. Uh, if you want, if you want, if you're a Hollywood producer and you want to really make a money on a movie, put vengeance at your as one of the core things. You know, I had a had a deal the other day where I was pulling out onto onto Custer in Plano, and uh, as I as I pulled onto to Custer, I looked back and there's a guy coming really fast up the same lane I just pulled in. So I, I pulled over into the middle lane. Uh, so that he could go by. Well, he decided by that point he wanted to be ticked. So he blows by me, he pulls in front of me, and then he stands on his brakes and comes to a complete stop in the middle of Custer. And I had to stand on my brakes in the middle of Custer, and we both came to a complete stop. It's too bad you didn't. Uh, I, I, I know, right? Uh, but here's what I was thinking, and then he like takes off. Like, okay, I won, you know, I made you stop, and then, okay, so he's off and gone, okay? So, I, I got to tell you, there was a part of, me, part of me that was really hoping, hoping, hoping that I would see him pulled over by a cop, <laughs> so <laughs> that would have, like, made my day, to, like, this, is good, this guy's going to get his, you know, we want vengeance, we, um, now, now, this desire for vengeance, we're Talk, talk a lot more about this desire for vengeance. Um, we will hold on to that. Hold on to that, Gene, because I'm going to because I want vengeance, but I don't want to see it as vengeance. I'm going to turn it a different way here. Vengeance if the cop pulls him over. It's vengeance if you do something. Yes. But but my joy in him being pulled over is my desire for vengeance. Okay? Now that means that also I have this battle always that I'm trying to measure. I want things to be fair. I want things to be just. But I'd like to be special on top of that. That everybody, that's right. Because the idea is if everything's fair for everybody else, then if I'm being fair, my natural whatever I am. For, for, for instance, if it's your birthday and it's your special day, 
and everybody's forgot it. <laughs> I want to kind of be special that day, and I got forgotten on that. That's that's not right, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. But I'd like to at least be recognized. Where they go. Oh, it's your birthday. We forgot. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Okay, but it is. But but we do want to. Do, we have a desire for things should be fair. That means it should be equal. Uh, and uh, but we just don't. We battle that against it should be equal. But if we get a little bit more than that, we're not worried so much that it wasn't that equal. If I got something, what what can you do, right? <laughs> okay. So I think that's a real natural man. Ism is this desire for fairness and equality. What happens, think about it from kind of the uh, Middle Ages uh, Christian perspective. If, if you have been poor and, the, and there's a guy in town and he is wealthy and he's a jerk, <laughs> what happens if you get to heaven and you're assigned your mansion where do you want rich guys domicile? Well, there's a vision on that. There is. And it, and it pours in there, right? Because we're, we're looking like... Yes, I know. And he's speaking to this very human nature part of us that says, okay, I'm, I'm poor here, but I will be rich there. But they had better be, be, be poor. Otherwise, that's not fair. that's not fair. Uh, in fact, it would be better if, like Lazarus, is like bringing me water or something. He's going to be my servant. That would be that would be cooler because <laughs> we want it. Dang it! It has to be fair, and it's this natural manism. We want to be chosen. We want to be special. Every great movie that has like a hero's journey thing going on, the hero is like this young boy that finds out what? Oh, you're a Jedi. Oh, we didn't know that. <laughs> he, there was a specialness in there that we did. You're not like every other kid. There is something special about you. So based on that, one of the things that we try and have our kids understand in primary is what? The child of God. You're special. In this case, it's true. <laughs> it's true, but there is a sense of being, I just thought I was like everybody else. Now it turns out. Um, it's, it's, like, it, it is, it's just one of those things that we, that we battle. It's a natural man-ism. Okay? Watch how this one shows up in the last days of the Nephite uh, empire. Now, Gene, now we're back to what you were saying. Okay? If I want things to be fair, I want justice. Justice means I get to invoke God to get what I want. And it has to be fair because God says it's fair. God says it will it'll have to be it'll have to be just. So I can justify my actions. Now, by the way, it's a political season. They don't invoke it's not good if you're a politician to say God wants this bill passed, or God wants me elected. What do they say? No. This is what the American people want. 
Well, I think what the American people want is, and that is that's a form of, I'm going to use God to get what I want. And so if I want vengeance, now I want God to fill up, to do the vengeance thing. Okay? Unless, unless God isn't getting to it fast enough. God isn't doing it right. Or he's not doing it with enough oomph. I need God to provide the vengeance. Because I'm not allowed to be vengeance, but that would be justice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think that's another way to look at the parasite explaining that's exactly what happened, right? It's not us, it's God making justice for, you know. For, 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 for Abel's descendants, yes. Justice, you know, and then it's like, what else in our oh. culture right now is being used in the same way? Yeah. So it's kind of like it. me, you. See me. Well, I have a, I have a favorite comic, and he and he talks about the fact that when you, he says, beware the me monsters. <laughs> beware the me monsters. You go to some place, you have a discussion at a dinner party or something, and he says, beware the me monsters. They're like, and me, and me, and me, <laughs> and you. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and in, this, in this case, it's Brian Regan. He, he talks about the fact, he says, wouldn't you want to have been one uh, like Neil Armstrong <laughs> at a dinner party? No matter what everybody else is going to say, he'd go, yeah, I was thinking about that when I was walking on the moon. <laughs> Stop down. Nobody else can top that. <laughs> yeah, I just realized it's only me on the moon. How about that? <laughs> yeah, 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 but it wasn't the moon, right? Okay, so so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the fact how the Nephites, as things are falling apart, they're losing things. They want to co-op God, call it justice, but it's really vengeance. Okay, here's another uh, natural manism that obedience should shelter me from adversity. My obedience, I've done all the right things. You haven't done the right things. How come I'm hurting more than you? That's We're back to not fair. What about getting our eyes checked? I mean, how many people think life isn't fair and they've got it better than most people in the world? You know, yeah. I think life isn't fair. Yeah. But I'm so glad that, that it's been unfair to me in so, so many good ways. Oh, yeah. That, that life is not fair because I went, I went to Kroger and they didn't have the particular Coke I was looking for. You know, we have these first world problems because life isn't fair. Um, and then we're, you know, do you think there's, do you think there's a lot of people in uh, Gaza or Ukraine at the moment? that are completely displaced of where they were going you know because of the actions of other people look at what the misery that we're going through but I was just a good guy trying to raise my family and now we're going through all this adversity shouldn't happen Uh, and then there are a lot of theologians that will then become non-theologians because they go God should have fixed that if, if there is a God, there shouldn't be any kind of child cancer. That is just not fair. That's not the God. I want a God of fairness. 
into our natural mannisms. Okay? Along with that is kind of a black and white world. We want winners and losers. And, and I want to be obviously one of the winners. And so I'm always judging myself as to whether I'm a winner or loser. Um, and then here, here's one that we're going to particularly run into, I think, uh, with these guys. This is focusing and holding on to the past. I, wanna, I want things to always be the way that, that they was. I don't want things to change. I'm clinging on to the past. Okay? And whether we want to call that traditions or whether we're holding on to things that maybe weren't... Um, I remember that back, back to the Paul Reeve thing. My, I remember real clearly my, my grandpa in Salt Lake talking about the fact that when they announced they had a sustaining in their sacrament meeting in, in, this is in 1978 in June in their, to sustain what has just occurred. Uh, and a man stood up in the middle of the stack of me and said, I will never endorse this. This is wrong. This is not what we have understood. And I cannot and will not. Okay. Hanging on. I can't, I can't handle change. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so here's, here's the other piece I want to, I want to throw in here. It's going to sound like we're doing this intellectual battle, but there's so many issues that came up. Entropy. I'm not looking for a physics explanation of what entropy is. Alan, how would you describe entropy? Uh, I don't think I know. Okay. I like the way I say it. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Everything's going to pot all the time. Yes, that's, that's Steve Young's definition. <laughs> Everything is always, it, it's slowly disintegrating. Anything in mortality will eventually slow down, decay, and, and go away because mortality was never meant to be permanent. It's a, our mortal life means that everything runs down. Our bodies aren't what it was. You know, things have to be repainted. Things slowly fall apart. Avocados will go from not ripe to overly ripe in about two hours. And it won't happen for four days after you buy it. And they just sit there, and then automatically something has happened. So the avocado fairy came along and made it overly ripe. I, I know, right? But but we, it's an understanding that everything in mortality slowly goes downhill and decays. And we're trying to, and so when we come back and we want to hold on to some of these kind of things, we want to focus on the past when everything's changing. Um, anyway, so so all that said, so if I if I if I intellectually set the table, and you're wondering when are we going to get around to the Book of Mormon. Um, any comment on that, by the way? I'm just throw, I'm just setting a big table. Well, you've got a simplistic definition. I Superly. Want to stay with the simplistic one. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Because yeah, I could get. I started looking up the non-simplistic entropy things this morning. I went, oh no, I'm not going there. <laughs> That's way over my head. Uh, so I, I made up my own. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. 
Just a quick comment. I read the other day everything decays except for McDonald's hamburgers. That's true. Two thousand four, the last one that was made in like Australia or whatever, is still around. They kept it on the lamp. It looks like it just came off the ground. It's not. That whole thing isn't true though because of Twinkies. <laughs> That's right. And, and the fries can be that way too. Although the, the fries go from like the best thing you've ever tasted to styrofoam, and they do that in about thirty minutes. But they still look good. But they still look really good. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so take this for a minute because I, I don't think we always take a hard look at what's happening among the Nephites and watch when their natural manisms start to kick in. Here are people that as the society is falling apart and they have battle after battle after battle and they're being driven from city to city to city. You might wonder, uh, again, I'm thinking about the, the people in Gaza that are kind of being driven out in, this, in the towns in, in Ramallah and stuff are all being destroyed, okay? Uh, all because of Hamas. Um, but... Um, in the middle of all of that, though, you've got all of these innocent people and, and they had their houses and now they're gone. And now they're here and now they're gone. And, and they've got people that are being killed and I had a dad and I had a brother and now he's gone. Look at the Ukraine. They're being driven from place to place. I think they reported that they've lost like 30,000 soldiers. And so how many, how many uh, widows, uh, families without sons, Look at the cost that's been inflicted on, on this as you're watching this whole thing fall apart. Well, that's what the Nephites are doing. City to city to city, how many widows, how many orphans, how many people are without, without homes, without everything that they grew up knowing is now gone. It's all being stripped away from them. Okay, so if you can kind of put yourself kind of in refugee mode, how would they handle it? Well, look at some of the things that they started doing and then watch how it kind of connects with some of the things that we do at a little different level, obviously. In Mormon 1, we get an interesting phrase here. That as it, as it looks like it's deteriorating, Amaron is going to look around, as we talked about, he probably, they're probably a, a place where we've got some younger kids Kind of in a, almost like in a Levite kind of mode where they're, uh, they wouldn't have the law of Moses at this point, but certainly this looks like a city of priests because 10 year olds are learning how to read a language they don't speak. And he's recognizing the value of who Mormon is at age 10. And he's going to say, okay, now, you know, when you're a certain, when you're 24, go find this treasure that I buried. He's going to say, okay, when you are of that age, 24, go to the land Antum, unto a hill that shall be called Shem, which shall be called Shem. They haven't called it yet, apparently. You get that sense, maybe. I don't know. Uh, there I have deposited, interesting phrase, unto the Lord, all the sacred engravings concerning this people. That's an interesting phrase. Unto the Lord. Is he going to bury the record of the Nephites not unto the Lord? What is, why would he need unto the Lord? You're jumping way ahead. Hold on to that, Jim. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, it does. And, it, and it's a particular phrase. It's going to be, I've deposited unto the Lord all the sacred engravings concerning this people. And behold, you shall take the plates of Nephi unto yourself and the remainder you'll leave in that place. So take the stuff that you need that is important here. Leave the rest there. Now, fascinatingly enough, so, so we have this story. We know that it's at, as the battle, as the, as the armies are retreating and they get close to, into the land Antum, he will then go to the place and he will get just the records that he needs. But there's a really subtle parallel that Mormon has built into this thing, and I, and I, and which makes it cool, and it makes you see kind of the nor- mortal, the uh, natural madness. Okay, look at what was happening. Now, in Mormon two, as they're losing, and the Nephites are getting beat over and over and over. Look at what happens. It came to pass the Nephites began to repent of their iniquity and begin to cry, even as had been prophesied by Samuel the prophet. Oh, what is it that they're crying about? Their goods. Yes. Yes. Their stuff. It's not about, oh, we recognize that we've been doing stuff we shouldn't. They're crying about their stuff. For behold, no man could keep that which was his own. For the thieves and the robbers and the murderers, and listen closely, and the what? Magic art. And the magician and the witchcraft which was in the land. Okay? No man could... Why is that kind of important? What's the big deal with not being able to keep your what's your own and the thieves and robbers and murderers and even magicians are getting our stuff think like refugees what's happening here what isn't happening is what should happen yes which is a change of heart, and they should be. Um, I'm trying to find it up there. Anyway, what they should be doing is asking for forgiveness and repenting and understanding. Our stuff is not saving us. No, it's not. God is the one that's going to save us. We need to change our hearts. Yeah, but we're not going to do that. So. But when we're a refugee, you think that you're, where you're going is going to be your savior. Yeah. Because you're being out of a, like if you're in this war situation, there you go. and they drive all these people to a safe spot, which is an internment camp or whatever, and it's not what they wanted to be. Yeah. It was, it's almost as bad or worse yeah. than what they got, they thought they were fleeing. Yeah. Th- think, about, think about what was happening with the Jews in World War II when they're being driven out of their houses and they're, and they're off to Auschwitz and all that and they don't know really kind of what's about to happen but they're grabbing their treasure and they're hoping that this is going to be good I'll be safe here and, and, and how am I going to take care of myself I will, I will save my rings I will save jewelry I will save valuable things that maybe we can haul with us and that might save us we get to a new place we might be able to use our our gold, our silver to purchase a house or like the Nazis have told them bring your gold. 
they would have thought about it. But since the Nazis didn't tell them bring your gold, they're like, oh, I better bring my gold. Yeah, and they did. And that's why when you like go down to the Holocaust Museum here in Dallas and you see all the, they've got a collection of rings. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah. I'm also thinking about during the Civil War um, that people would take things that were valuable to them and hide them in the well, thrown down the well. They did that at the Alamo. Apparently there were some things that were thrown down the, as they thought as the armies were coming. To, yeah, yeah, they would. In other words, we need to hide away our valuable stuff because we're, we're about to lose it. Yeah. Well, also I think about when the church teaches us to have our 72-hour kids. Yeah. And, and you're supposed to go through them every year, you know, like a conference we used to uh -huh. have It is. But what is it that we value? What is it that we value? There you go. That's right. If I if, if there's a tsunami warning, if, if it looks like civilization is collapsing and I'm a 12-year-old, do I want wheat or do I want my phone? <laughs> right? I, I'm gonna, I need my Minecraft game and I need a charger. If we're not going to be staying here anymore, I'm, it's what I value. Yeah. I'm struggling with this in my brain and the fact, though, that they're thinking that this is only going to be maybe for a short time. Mm -hmm. So the comment that I... We're the Nephites. We win. The comment that I made earlier is, sounds almost silly now because they're not thinking long, long term. They're just thinking... Maybe within a couple of weeks, or maybe within a couple of months, I need this money so that I can start over. Yeah, and I that's right. And I won't be a burden to someone else. I'm not thinking that's such a silly thing. Well, and it made sense to them. It's like they're gonna. What are they gonna do? They're gonna take the things that they value, and because it's everything is chaotic, what are they gonna do? Bury it in the ground. But the curse of this thing, apparently, according to Samuel, is you're gonna bury it, and what's gonna happen? You can't find it. I buried a charger and my phone in here, and now it's gone. Or I had my Minecraft game, and it has been stolen. Somebody took my stuff. And it's the things that we value in mortality that can be... And Sam was trying to say, everything that you want couldn't be gone. If you're, if you're focusing on material things, if you're... Uh, spiritual stuff nobody can take from you. Mortality goes away. And, and so thieves and robbers and murderers are, are stealing from them and thus began to be mourning and lamentation in all the land 
Because of these things. We lost our stuff. Now, to a certain extent, I, I could probably, you know, I have things that are valuable to me. If someone stole my stuff, I, I'm going to be pretty upset. There's going to be some lamenting, but I get it. Yeah. So this magic art and the witchcraft? Yeah. I'm thinking... I've wondered about that one. I'm thinking like pickpockets and sleight of hand, flim-flam artists, because, you know, as a, as a consumer, when I, get a, when I interact with a pickpocket, I can't figure out how they did it. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know who did it. Who the magician was that has my wallet now, you know. So yeah, that's what I'm. I'm thinking, and and uh, squirrels very nuts, and uh, they have a really good ratio of being able to come back and find the nuts about thirty percent of the time. Uh huh. But they also have a really good ratio of another squirrel will watch a squirrel go and bury a nut. <laughs> Five minutes later, he goes and digs it out. Yeah, and it's gone. So uh, I think, you know, when you bury your, your riches in your backyard, you don't want your neighbor watching. This was due to the pandemic when we didn't have anything to do but watch squirrels. <laughs> we fed squirrels at our house. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our neighbors were trapping them and taking them three miles away and dropping them off. <laughs> That's funny. I, I also think, though, there's another thing here, guys, that if I, if I am turning my back on God, and, and with God, God can bless, I, we can dedicate a building, we can dedicate our house, that the Spirit or the Holy Ghost will watch over and protect. Now, if you don't believe in God, but, I don't know, there's a little magic art or witchcraft, it's still something supernatural that's going to protect my treasure. That that and that was. Uh, call that mir- miraculous. Yeah, yeah. There was a. Why the plates weren't uh, corroded? You know? Yes, and, and never would corrode. But there was also a, a belief to uh, when we get into all the Joseph Smith and uh, and the uh, salamander stuff, where that fed right into this magic sense that there would be a there would be a a magic deity that would protect treasure at Hill Cumorah and. And uh, Mark Hoffman was able to tie into that, that whole other topic. Um, okay, so here's what's going on with them, though. So, so he's watching them, he's, Mormon's watching them lament. They're losing their stuff. He goes, okay, but it turns out my joy was in vain. For their sorrowing, it turns out, was not unto repentance. I saw them sad. I was thinking this might, we, oh, no. It was not under repentance, but because of the goodness of God, it was rather the sorrowing of the damned, because the Lord would not always suffer them to take happiness in sin. That they want, that they were more stuck on their the things that they like, their their stuff. Now, l- let's take a second. So, so he Mormon is quickly tying together. It's like, wait a minute, Samuel said this. Samuel uh, is the one that told him about this. Uh, so let's let's look for instance at what 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 Samuel did say. And it shall come to pass, saith the Lord of hosts, yea, our great and true God, 
who shall hide up treasures in the earth that shall find them no more. Whoso shall hide these up, and they're not finding their treasures, because of the great curse on the land, save it be a righteous man, and shall do what? Hide it unto the Lord. If I have treasure, if I don't hide it unto the Lord, it can be stolen, it can be gone, it goes the way of all the entropy or whatever. But if I have righteous and I hide it up unto the Lord, that's, that's different. For I will, saith the Lord, that they that shall hide their treasure unto me, and cursed be they who do not hide their treasure unto me, for none who hideth up their treasure unto me, save it be the righteous. Only the righteous hide up their treasure unto me. Okay, now, stop for a sec. Give me the application. Say this in present terms. How would we say this to us today? What would it mean, do you think, those that are hide it up unto hide treasure unto the Lord and those who don't? There's an application here, big time. This is where we actually come into play here. Yeah, Wendy. Tithing is part of that. I'm going to consecrate money to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and, and what, but particularly it's about our treasure. In other words, this has a particular view. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide treasure up, but it's consecrated. Kevin, would it end up being that last covenant that we make in the temple? Uh-huh. Everything we have. Everything, Everything we have. There you go. Give it all to the Lord because I don't need it. And yeah. I'm going to keep my covenant. With yeah. Okay. We're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Including like talents and um, our service and our time and you know all those things, as well as all of our monetary things. Yeah. See. See. For instance, I know, and I keep joking about this in our YSA ward. I keep going. I know we have one organ player. <laughs> And Dagnabbit, I know that there are at least five others sitting in that sacrament meeting who could play the organ, but they won't come forward and admit that they can. <laughs> They're sitting on their talent. They just don't want to put it. Right, Brad? There are more people than just this one guy that can play the organ, and they just don't want to do it because they get embarrassed or it's shy or something like that. Yeah. So I guess the whole thing is, is you have to look at your definition of treasure. Yes. Why? Because... Your treasure really isn't defined by whether it's made out of gold or silver or whatever like that. Your treasure is defined by what are you focused on? Yeah. What do you, what is it in your heart that you care about? Yeah. What are you worried about losing? And if your treasure is your testimony, you're probably better off than if it's your Corvette. <laughs> Yeah, and entropy can't quite get to my testimony most of the time. Yeah. Well, that's what exactly what I was thinking. Is the treasure, the things that I would hide up, and I would think they would be hid up unto the Lord, or the, the experiences with my family, the experiences in the church, uh, those moments that can't be taken from me because they're in here yeah. and here, right. not anywhere else. So if you 
yes, I would miss my little things. You know, I understand trinkets now because I look at, you know, my kids give me something and I'm getting a lot more. I remember that. I yeah, remember it, it that. means something. It right. means something, like my scrapbooks and pictures. But the feelings and the moments yeah. and the treasures yeah. can't be taken. No. They'll never be lost. And, and it doesn't mean you don't have treasures. It's just that you're, you're dedicating them to the Lord. Yeah, they won't be taken. Right? Look at what... And so, come back to the idea of consecration. Uh, in Genesis, the Lord appeared unto Ab- Abram and said unto him, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he builded an altar, what? Unto the Lord. In other words, it's things that we dedicate uh, to the Lord. Now, um, so here's, here's this unto the Lord. This is kind of, this is one of those side lessons that I think come out of this. How does the unto the Lord idea fit with the law of consecration? Okay. Now, Cindy and I were listening to a guy the other day. Here was his definition of it. And I, I kind of like it. I, you know, it's not perfect, but I think it's a, it's a helpful way of kind of looking at this a little bit. When you're thinking about like the law of consecration and, and our last promise that everything we have and, and to build up Zion, right? We're going to give everything. And, and if we're living the law of consecration, um, speaking of this law of consecration, there are actually kind of three groups of people that we can identify. One is the rich. The rich turn out to be those who have surplus. Well, we all have surplus. We do. We just do. And mortality. Okay. Now, if we're living the law of consecration, the rich are going to be those who have surplus. The poor are going to be those who have sufficient for their needs. And the needy are going to be those who lack the necessities. Is one way of looking at this, okay? So, under the law of consecration, uh, what happens with the rich? They declare to their bishop their surplus. And, and they give the surplus, give, the give it back to the bishop, okay? So now I'm reduced to being, blessed are the poor, okay, right? Now that means though that one way to look at it is that under the law of consecration, you don't have a 401k or a savings account. Feel, about, feel that one for a second. Yeah, but is that totally accurate because... If you take that financial, what is it called? Self-reliance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, part of being poor and having sufficient for your need is not just today. Yeah, right. That's because we're still in mortality and we're not living the law of consecration. And my crops come in and now I have enough for my family. Anything over and above that, I don't put in a savings account. I give back to the bishop. And he then uses it to help the needy become poor. <laughs> They're now going to have sufficient for their needs. Now, but we look at it with our mortality and we go, yeah, but what happens if something happens? What happens, you know, we're getting older. What, what we, we have to depend on our 401k. This is where the Lord is saying in the prayer, in the Lord's prayer, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Where's he getting that from? Manna. Manna. The idea of manna is they would get up in the morning and what would they gather? 
sufficient for that day. Could they gather more than that? No. no. Except, except for the night before Shabbat. They would gather a double portion, so then they would have it for the Sabbath for the next day. But the rest of the day, they had to depend on getting manna for that day and only for that day and get up the next day and start over. Why would the Lord do that? Yes, and to trust him that he will provide for us. So under this system, if I have a surplus, I'm going to give it away with the idea that I will be taken care of. I don't worry about it. Do I have faith enough that God will make sure that my family is taken care of? Even if I don't have a safety, I don't have a savings account. Even under the law of consecration, the standard practice was that the bishop gave back most of what had been needed to him to the person who needed it to him, to the church, under the law of stewardship. Yeah, right. Because then everything becomes a stewardship, right? But that means, but, but sometimes, if you think about it, if we're fully living it, there might be a discussion about saying, Jim, you've got a really nice house but you really don't need as big a house as you've got because we've got another family that really kind of, and you're going, yeah, but they didn't work that much. I know, but they have a big family. You guys are just the two of you, and so we're going to put you in, your stewardship is going to be over a smaller house, and we're going to give them your house. It happened. It didn't happen that way often. No, but, and we can't judge the law of consecration by what happened in Missouri because it, was awful. <laughs> they never did, they never could pull it off. But under a Zion society that really functions, this is how it would function. It, it, it really is. It means I live without a surplus because I believe that I will be taken care of constantly. But that also means that my house might go to somebody that I have judged. I don't think they were working as hard as I did. But in the scripture examples where the law of consecration was truly uh, lived it says there were no poor among them. that's right so, I know I know the definition is taking them down to the level where everybody's rich yeah yeah and so that's why I say and the, the definitions on this aren't good and this probably needs to be a different word he used the word poor uh, I'm with you I, I think this should to be I'm, I'm, no, no, no. We don't know what, much of what happened in Enoch City, right? But, but, but just get a sense of that if, if uh, the Nephites are struggling and they're refugees, now what happens with those that are orphans or widows or poor or have lost their house? They should be being taken care of, but... They're not. What are they doing instead? Instead of using their surplus to help, what are they doing? Burying, burying it in the ground, probably. And that's that's what he's decrying. Okay. So, Kevin, in my mind, this all could have worked after the Savior had come, and, and it might have been this way. Yeah. For that two hundred years. Yeah. And probably was. The problem to me right now, the problem I'm struggling with is the fact that none of us are here yet. No. Because our testimonies of the Savior are not rock solid. Yeah. yeah. And for this to really work in any environment, 
somehow we all have to have such a huge change of heart. Yeah. To the point that every thought and everything that we do is centered on the Savior. So I. And, and my faith and trust is completely there that I will be taken yeah. care of even if everything extra I have is being given away. Well, we're not in the madness. No. We know that tomorrow Father's going to provide. Yeah. If we were in that state, I could see this room. Jumping at the chance. I'm ready to stay on the covenant path. I'm ready to live the law of consecration. I'm excited for that in my life. Yeah. I'm not so sure I'm going to live for that to happen, but this can't work until we all change. Until we get past our natural manness, yeah. right? You, you can see why it, it failed in Missouri. Right. It, and you it know. failed throughout well, history. Well, and it failed in Utah, yeah. There were no poor among them, but it also in those communities said there weren't anybody that wasn't working. Yeah, everybody was useful. Yeah, they were, and and not and 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 in the agrarian society, by the way, those if I if I take the surplus like extra land and I give it to the to the those that are struggling, now they have more land. They become no they're, they're no longer needy because <laughs> now they got enough. Especially if that work ethic is combined. But okay. So you're, you're exactly right, Deb. I, I think part of the battle here is that we're seeing the ideal and then we see our, our natural tendencies, our natural man. I tell you, at the moment when Cindy and I first got married, love consecration sounded great. We didn't have anything. That sounds great. Now, at this point in our life where we, you know, we got a house and I got a truck that I sort of like and, you know, and, and all those kind of things. I have more to lose. <laughs> and my, my natural man goes, wait a minute, I'm going to give up. I'm not as excited about the law of consecration as I was when I was 21. And I, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in this bottom category. Let's do this thing. But were we happier when we first got married and we had nothing to present? We're, we're just young and stupid. Yes. I know. I know. I know. And the more stuff we have, the more we get corrupted by it. We do. Yeah. I know. All right. Okay. So um, so let, let me take it one step farther because the Nephites had two big problems. Well, they had a lot of them, but this was one of them that they were what to do with our treasure and what we actually treasure and we're not consecrating it to the Lord we're consecrating it to us so that so this is where that natural manism really kind of kicks in and makes things worse now they win a big battle Mormon pulls the Captain Moroni card they're losing 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 then he goes in and he makes this locker room speech <laughs> to the Nephites and he's like do it for your families your wives and your children and, and, and so it's like he probably even brought out the flag uh, here's the title of liberty let's do it the Captain Moroni way okay we can do this ah! and ah, they go out they won and they, they win the next couple of battles now what happens now because they had done this great thing which my people the Nephites had done they began to boast what? in, in their own strength Oh, here we go. And began to swear before the heavens that they would avenge themselves of the blood of their brethren who had been slain by their enemies. And they did swear by the heavens and also by the throne of God. Okay, now, 
Why is that? What's the problem in swearing by the heavens and by the throne of God? Brent, what would be the problem? Don't swear. <laughs> First of all, yeah, you weren't supposed to swear in the first place. <laughs> Wrong, wrong, wrong. Wash your mouth out with soap. <laughs> I think the biggest problem for that inspiration to come from it didn't come from the Lord. No, it didn't. Okay? Okay, now, if I'm going to swear by the throne of God, what have I just done? It's blasphemy. It is blasphemy. It's like you're putting your own authority above God's authority. I'm, yes. And I'm co-opting the throne. That's exactly what Satan wanted to do. I don't want to just... I'm not putting out a plan here that is worth voting on. That was a full-on rebellion. I want the throne of God. I want to take over. Why? Because I like my approach better than your approach. And my approach gets me the glory. Now, why would... So now they're going to say, we're going to avenge ourselves of the blood... Uh, they swear by the heavens and the throne of God that they're going to avenge themselves by the blood. Why wouldn't they? And God is always pushing back and saying, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Think about, think about Joseph Smith in, in Liberty. He goes, I'm really tired of listening to these guys. Where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? When are, you, when are we going to be avenged? When are you going to take these guys out? You ought to hear what they're saying. You think, we cost, man, whew. get them. Where is the pavilion? And the Lord's response is, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord, and I will repay, comma, my way. No, I want blood, and I want it when? Now. now. And I want it my way. If you have caused me 80 hurt units... <laughs> I want you to hurt with at least 80 hurt units. It has to be equal. Now, if it turned out, because that would be fair. Now, if you hurt me 80 hurt units, but you get 100 hurt units, that, that would be okay. <laughs> that would not be fair. You might be saying, well, that's not fair. No, I, I know. You, you shoplifted. I want you from my store. I want you in jail for 20 years. Well, that's not really fair. Yeah, it feels good to me. <laughs> I really like the stuff you stole. <laughs> well, there's vengeance and there's deterrence. And, and the two can look like each other a little bit to an outsider, but they're not the same at all. There is, there is discipline as a parent, and then there's angry discipline, <laughs> which is... <laughs> yes. Cindy? I also think that the swearing by the throne of God is a really bad form of taking the Lord's name in vain. It's exactly taking the Lord's name in vain. And yes. Yes. Even though we hear people in their normal everyday speech and they won't say gosh. Yeah, right. And we think, well, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. That's not what it's referring to, is it? That's bad, but it's not what, but it's not what we're referring to. It's different from this. How... how how much blood was spilled by the Crusaders in Jerusalem where they said, and, and you know, the, those Crusaders uh, said that blood was running literally in the streets of Jerusalem. And what did they have on their shield? God wanted us to do this. We have God's blessing to do what we're doing. Yeah. I'm having a hard time not comparing this to like collateral and a loan. 
And it's like, I'm offering the throne of God. Like, I've, he's blessed me and blessed me and blessed me. And now I feel so confident in asking and that he's going to deliver that I'm like, and I'm going to offer your throne and you're going to give me all, and we're going to take all the blood. And you take all, kill all the people. And he's like, but I didn't offer, like, I didn't provide that collateral to you. <laughs> That's right. You, but you made it up. Exactly. So, so when, because we might be saying, yeah, but you should have. Exactly. So, so if I'm going to do it by the throne of God, I get to make the rules. You let me do this, this, and yeah. this, so obviously you're going to find this. Yeah, but then what I'll do is then I'll go over here and go, yeah, God said it was okay. <laughs> this is what the American people want. <laughs> God said it was okay, yeah. I, I look at that and I keep thinking, you know, that is, I think, bona fide evidence. These people weren't just drifting away from the church. They were in open rebellion yes. against the church. Well, in fact, he says that, doesn't he? There were so many bodies that lay in open rebellion to God. He uses that exact phrase. You know, you, you can't openly rebel against something you don't understand, at least to some degree. Yeah. And that makes it so much worse. Yeah. And they would go up to battle against their enemies and would cut them off from the face of the land. I'm going to... We are now justified... We are now justified, and it's not just a deterrence. Now at this point, our vengeance is justified. Genocide. Yeah, now it's genocide. Yeah. And it came to pass that I, Mormon, did utterly refuse from this time to be a commander and a leader of this people because of their wickedness and abomination. It's interesting that there was a lot of things that Mormon was still willing to do, and he says, I love them even though I had no hope. I, I'll, I'll keep leading them. We're going to try and make the best out of this situation. But there was a line for him that says, when we get to this line, I'm now off the boat. You guys are on your own. And it was this, this is the line. For, for him, the line was, when we get to that point where now it begins to be about vengeance, now we have a, that's where I, I'm getting out of this. Yeah. Your comment about the blood is interesting because that seems to me you've gone too far to, because Jesus saved us through his blood. Yeah. By the way, it's gross, but that's how it works. And then they are using that. And so I thought her example of the collateral, God gave us this and now we're going, oh yeah, but it's mine now. So you totally missed the boat. Yeah, one of those things that I learned as a missionary in, in England was there were certain phrases we didn't use. I, I, you, you, might have, uh, you might have a problem with your nose, but I wasn't going to say you've got a bloody nose. Because cause bloody is, is high swearing. Yes. But the roots of, of bloody is by God's blood. Splood. It was, in other words, you are swearing by... That blood is... Christ's blood, bloody, bloody, okay. Yeah, there were, there were a few times that I was like, oh, he's got a bloody nose. What, Elder, what did you say? Nothing, it's all right. He has a nosebleed. <laughs> nose that, yes, that's what we'd go. But I just see how far they've gone because they've taken something so sacred. Yeah. And it's an interesting that my mother, we, I have some off-roading children. She goes, but they're not rebelling. They're just off-roading. And there is a difference. <laughs> but I mean, there is a difference, you know, with a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding. Yeah, and that and that's where we go. Yeah. Yes. They're off-roading. Yeah. Narrow path. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay. There, I, I, I believe that of all the natural man-isms that we talked about at the beginning, uh, 
I think the idea of wanting vengeance is one of those things that is just going to be one of those hardest things for us to stamp out. Um, poor President Hinckley. I, I remember uh, we w- remember listening to the dedicatory services for the Nauvoo Temple years ago, and and President uh, President Hinckley, President Hinckley was talking about those that had persecuted the prophet and stuff like that. And and talking about Governor Boggs in particular and made a comment uh, along the lines of, and I don't know even if you'd find it in the transcript, but I heard it live. I, and it's something like, and he finally got what was coming to him. Basically. Uh, and it was when his, some horrible things had happened to the Boggs family. And they, he finally got, and then he, and then he stops and goes, nah, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but it was like that natural part of him was just, you know, and, and maybe because I share some ancestry with him and I know what our ancestor went through up there. But there was just that, I think that vengeance part of us is just, boy, I think it'll be the eternities before we kind of... Kind of weird for us to picture that Governor Box's children had something coming to them for what he did. Oh, and if you, if you suddenly saw Boggs in the Celestial Kingdom, you might... Th- that would be completely unfair. Yeah. You know, you, you need to look at the big picture. With respect to Governor Boggs, a few years ago, my wife and I were in a war for one of his direct descendants. Oh. was a member of the war. Yes. And as kind of person you ever met. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and think think they did his temple work. <sighs> see? see, see what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but man, we got to get there first. <laughs> and 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 Thomas Ford, yeah, him too. I mean, they're just guys in that. Anyway. We were in uh, in the Tri-Cities right from Kenworth, Washington, Pasco. And and there's uh, two bear families. There used to be three, but uh, Ted has passed on. But there's two brothers who live in the Tri-Cities whose father, also a bear, was... And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.